You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's Science of Storytelling, I'm chatting with Mark Field. Mark is the head of the Invention branded content studio at Reach in the UK. You'll start to notice the theme of partnership throughout this episode. Whether it's how Mark sees the partnerships between the news brand and the advertiser, or the new emerging partnerships that are happening between competing media companies, and even the partnership his career has brought him in his personal life. If you like this episode, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Now, let's get to the show. Mark, welcome to the show. Uh, great to meet you, Jerry. Uh, really uh, glad to be on the show, and thanks for inviting me. Well, you are are somehow. I, I'm surprised at this. I think we've done you know 27, 28 episodes, and you are our first UK guest. So you are our inaugural UK guest, which it, which is going to put you on the spot because I'm going to ask a lot of you know UK industry and news media. Uh, industry kind of questions because most of our listeners are in North America. I'm Canadian. I would say about 80% of our listeners are in the US. And as much as, you know, we see, I'd say we're probably consuming a lot of UK TV these days. Maybe this is me personally. I've watched like everything about the crown. I watched Peaky Blinders. I went on like a real tear where all I watched was either UK produced media or media about the UK. So uh, welcome to the show. And I'm so happy that you could be our first UK guest. Well, th- thanks for having me on the show. Uh, and just just to sort of just so you're aware, you know, The Crown isn't uh, a fly on the wall documentary. Uh, and we don't all live in uh, such massive uh, castles, but uh, but uh, but it's a great program to, to watch and, and, and follow as well from this end of the pond. Um, uh, yeah, great. I'll, I'll do my best to try and sort of explain what's going on over uh, over in the UK in terms of its media and specifically in the world of uh, uh, of branded content. Yeah. So the the interesting thing. So I had uh, a guest on Liana Dubois from Australia, and she was at Nine Media. And I, I thought something that was really interesting was almost like the history of how they named their media properties because they are named Seven Nine. 10, I think, is the name of their big media properties. And they're all named after the place that they were on the dial, on the TV dial. And uh, and then in the U.S., the most of the media properties are named after cities. You know, New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, uh, L.A. Times. And I just find it interesting the way that things are, are named. And when I look at a lot of the U.K. brands, it's almost even more specific where they're named after times or days like the you know the evening standard or the sunday times and i'm curious if you can give us an idea of the the type of news properties that there are in the uk and almost like how you differentiate them is it by you know is it by the politics that they support or the coverage that they have like what's your feel on it well the, you know there's a there's a multitude of ways of looking at it uh, i mean the, the 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 landscape that we find ourselves in now is you know vastly different to it was maybe 20 30 or plus years ago you know a lot of the brands that exist are uh, heritage brands you know uh, and how long newspapers like the daily mirror but who, who's the predominant national newspaper that i work with 
um, uh, have been in place uh, since you know, we've been all in existence for a very long time. Now, the, the, the marketplace is sort of divided into the types of audiences that our newspapers serve. So the Daily Mirror, the Sun, the Daily Star uh, are predominantly popular newspapers. Uh, they're called Red Tops because, uh, colloquially called Red Tops, because our mastheads all have uh, a, a red uh, uh, colour background to, to, to the, the, the front, on the front page. Um, and, you know, we are the mass market newspapers that bring news and entertainment to a vast audience of, 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 of newsreaders. The quality end of the newspapers is called or the broadsheets, uh, so-called because uh, in, in the past they were these big newspapers uh, printed on a huge uh, sheets of paper that would be opened uh, <laughs> and have far more uh, detailed things like The Times uh, and The Guardian, The Telegraph. Uh, they obviously aim at uh, a different segment of uh, of society, uh, more uh, in, invested into sort of the AB, ABC1 uh, demographic. Uh, and then you have the mid-markets, such as the Daily Mail uh, and the Daily Express. Uh, and these, uh, these, again, offer a different tranche of society, the sort of news that they're after. Yes, a lot of the politics is sort of uh, backed up within those titles. The majority of news brands are probably more right-leaning um, mm. Working on the of the Daily Mirror. I mean, the Daily Mirror was actually the, the newspaper of choice in the the house that I grew up in, uh, and is uh, you know quite proudly um, left uh, left of centre, left wing, and supporting of the Labour Party, um, which offers you know certainly at the moment uh, a, a, probably the only newspaper with a you know offering up a different voice to those supporting our current government. So. Um, so there's quite a lot of newspapers that, that exist. And, and obviously now the breadth of the digital content that each and every one of those news brands delivers uh, online um, means that this sort of content and the content we produce is, is delivered to everybody all around the world. So huge audiences, uh, even in a time of you know traditional print declines over the last 20 odd years. Yeah, I, I've found the last couple of years really interesting from a, a news perspective. I don't know if it's the like life stage that I'm at, uh, you know, I've got kids and a house, I'm at that life stage. and or, or I don't know if it is just the topics or the pulse of the world right now where, to me, news has become more prominent and news brands have become more prominent than they were, you know, even five years ago. I, I think part of it in North America, but also, you know, in Europe with you know, Brexit, and there's a lot of uh, polarization of people and putting each other into different camps. But there's almost notoriety that is with news brands as well. You Politicians will be talking about them, calling them out by name. Uh, people will be using them to support their point in social media. It's really interesting. I don't know if you've seen that as well, where maybe for a while, and let, let's set aside the business models. The business models mm -hmm. might be more challenging. But just as far as you know, are news brands becoming more important or more a part of the zeitgeist of the world? Have you noticed that in the last few years in the same way? Yeah, definitely. I think, I, I, and I think that you know, the content that we create is never more craved for than the world we find ourselves in. Whether that's the world that we're all sitting in now, where we're all at home, you know, uh, shying away from the, the the global pandemic, and therefore wanting to know what's going on and wanting a trusted source of information to be able to direct us and tell us when there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel or, or or the fact that you know as we 
you know, increasingly look to our handheld devices and our phones to sort of entertain us throughout the day. The sort of content that we are, uh, that we, when I say we, as in all news brands, create on a regular daily basis by understanding exactly what it is that our readers are after and, and creating content that's going to be served to them in the right form, at the right time, in the right format. You know, quite like you quite rightly say, you, you get to a certain life stage, then having the printed version and being able to sit down or sit down over a weekend and pour over the lovely glossy supplements that fall out of the middle and, and have the time to sort of invest in the, the opinion side of, of what news brands are so great at, or, or whether it's to snack the, the bit on your timeline as you're going through your social media, but to know that that content is coming from a trusted source that you know that it's gone through editorial checks and balances and has been crafted and shaped and, uh, and double-checked and fact-checked before it's been distributed on whatever platform it is. I think there's a demand for the, the, the stuff that, um, that we produce. Mm-hmm. And how did you, so you're the head of a group called Invention at yes. Reach. So maybe if you can, you know, explain why, I like that title, by the way, the head of Invention, right? Just tell your family and friends, I'm the head of Invention. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I've been working in the world, in the sphere of branded content for a good 20 years. And I, th- I still think my mum doesn't really get what I do, even though I've shown her, taken her through stuff and explained it. But uh, but yeah, the, the, it's, a, it's a funky title, isn't it? Um, but for all intents and purposes, it's it's the running of uh, the branded content studio within Reach PLC. And for those who don't know who we are, uh, Reach PLC, uh, we're the largest national and regional news publisher in the UK. Uh, we reach over about, about just over 47 million people a month. Uh, and we've got a portfolio of national news brands, uh, regional and local, uh, and a whole vast portfolio of digital brands. Uh, and when I say portfolio, that's 120 regional news brands. 120 regional titles, uh, nine national titles, um, as well as the magazines and supplements um, and all the websites that support all those brands. So, you know, it's a pretty vast portfolio of um, uh, of media platforms and, uh, uh, and brands. And my job and my team's job uh, is to work with advertisers to 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 help them create content to with the, with their marketing, their communication strategies and issues. Um, you know, the world we work in is always challenging, always different, and no two briefs are, are, are alike. I think that's a truism in the world we work within. And hence, you know, an advertiser or maybe their media agency think that content could be a way of them getting across uh, their issue and their problem. So, you know, I'm very lucky to run a team of very talented and highly creative people, ranging from strategists, and planners, uh, journalists, commercial journalists, people that have built their career in the world of journalism and uh, are turning their, their skill set to help us to tell the, the right stories for advertisers and brands that our readers will want to engage with. Uh, a brilliant design team and an awesome, you know, I mean, the project managers, the guys that, you know, put this stuff together, liaise with our advertisers, ensure it's all going to work and, uh, and be delivered on time, you know, I mean, all of them every day, uh, as well as, you know, our digital experts that can not only work out uh, which is the best, best platform for us to use, whether it's only our own internal platforms to, to get in front of the right audiences, but also which are the best platforms uh, outside of our walls, you know, uh, to, to deliver our content within. Um, all these specialisms come together and uh, work within a brilliant account management team um, who liaise with our advertisers predominantly via their media agencies. And we are working uh, probably at a 
greater, faster pace than we ever have done before. Uh, we've just hit record revenues, uh, which shows me that this stuff is working quite well for, for advertisers and for our audiences. And probably equally never been a time when it's probably more important for brands to have some expertise to help them traverse the, the rocky world of what the hell's going on out there in the open world and how can we talk to talk to people we want to talk to. This is something that's, that I've seen as a trend across like geographies where the teams, the branded content teams, which are you know usually responsible for the commercial editorial content or sponsored yep. stuff, have grown in 2020 almost everywhere. You know, all of the publishers that I've spoken to, those departments have grown in in headcount. They had record years in in revenue, where the media company as a whole often has seen a you know either a decline or they had a flat year. So. Are, are you seeing that this branded content area, like how do you reconcile the growth of that department mm-hmm. against, you know, the external factors that might be happening? There'll be print declines because the company as a whole has to make decisions based on the, the health of their business. But then you have this little pocket that is doing exceptionally well. Have you seen a move towards focusing on on the invention group within there? And and how does the broader kind of macroeconomics affect you and your team? Well, I think it's a good, that's a really good question. I think it's the the challenge that most media owners are trying to balance out at the moment. And the thing is, you know, in in, in the past, in, you know, when I started my career quite a a while ago, um, the the options for advertisers were limited. Um, There were key platforms and key ways of spending your advertising buck to reach the audience you wanted to engage with your product. Um, and as the world has exploded, as the world of media has exploded, as the digital world has given so many more opportunities, as multi-channel TV has exploded over the last 20 years, there's all of a sudden so many different places where the advertising pound is being spent. So that money is being dissipated throughout a multitude of media channels. Um, which means that, you know, the, the traditional world of a news, the newspaper world um, having a huge slug of money coming into it in a very traditional manner in terms of uh, people queuing up to put their display advertising in, in, in the fronts of the paper has changed, right? It's adapted. And so we as media owners have adapted as well and need to be solution driven in terms of what our advertisers are after. Now, I think advertisers come to news brands in particular, because we're very good at engaging with our audiences because we ask people to put their hand in their pocket and spend money on our printed products every day. Uh, So we have to make sure that that storytelling and that news reporting is of a high quality to justify the price. Um, So brands and brands that that, that understand the need to sort of do different things in terms of their overarching comms platforms, are coming to companies like the one I work for and saying, look, you know, we'd like to understand how we can harness your skill set to do, you know, to help us cover the challenge that we've got, right? So, you know, we as an organization need to, I believe, change and adapt and and, and create a, a, a team that uh, that can that can offer a service that can work very closely with advertisers, but at the same time, when we create the content that we're making for advertisers, make sure that it's abundantly clear to our readers that, hey, this is stuff we've made in partnership with brand. There's been a commercial relationship. They have paid for us to create this storytelling for them. 
and it's marked thus. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know we follow all the guidelines and and, and all of the great uh, I think branded content teams teams do. So you know I think what we as an industry or what we as a company uh, have then got to work out is hang on a second this stuff costs a lot of money to produce it costs a lot of money to make but it's it's not like um it's not an equilibrium between money changing in terms of the display advertising and then all of a sudden this stuff coming up to uh, to completely replace it you know the money is going to a multitude of different channels but this this sort of money that we get in particular tends to be you know, where a client's going, look, I've got a chunk of my budget, or this may be all of my budget. And I really want a really in-depth relationship with a part of the audience I want to engage with. So it tends to be a chunk of money that will be invested with one particular media owner. Yeah, there's lots of instances where we've worked on and uh, I've talked to you a bit about one we've done as a, 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 a with, for the government across all the news brands in the UK, but, but it tends to be one media owner. So so if this money is is, is there and, and these these problems are there to be solved for advertisers, I think it's the job of forward thinking news brands and publishers uh, to to use their skill sets to work hand in glove with an advertiser to to really send, then then you know provide a content solution for them. because at the end of the day that's what we as a business are, are really adept at. So yeah, getting the balance right is interesting. Yes, the the the, the financials have got to work. But I think, you know, as you say, you know, there's been growth everywhere. So there's an increasing demand from advertisers for this kind of solution. I think it's a it's just a more natural fit. Like, let's say you restarted the way that digital advertising worked and you didn't start with the banner ad the way that, yeah. you know, that was a bit of an accident. I think they're like, OK, well, we've got this digital stuff. What if we put billboards on this Internet thing? Uh, I think a more natural way for news brands would be, hey, we're telling a lot of stories. What if we told stories for brands as well? That would be the, the more natural advertising opportunity right from the start. We probably just got a little bit away from that originally. By no, uh, there was probably just no master plan. Now, you're the you're the head of this uh, group that's doing this branded content, major publisher, lots of properties. It's not often a job. I, I speak to a lot of people who are heading up branded content studios, and most of them, when they were 10 years old, didn't know that's where they were going to be. Whereas, you know, in, in some other professions, maybe someone's a doctor and you say, what did you want to be when you grew up? And they say, I wanted to be a doctor, right? They're really clear on that. What did 10-year-old Mark want to be? Well, uh, well, 10-year-old Mark wanted and still wants to be uh, the captain of the England football team or soccer team um and and lift the world cup you know i'm i still okay. although although um i'm now a coach of a football team rather than an actual player i'd still i still fancy my chances if uh, if i got the call um i think i think a traditional role like a journalist or an editor these these are roles that people sort of understand and hear of when 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 you're a kid but but media sales and media agencies and planning and buying and you know a, a lot of these sort of things are are, 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 it's a hidden world, really, isn't it? Uh, I think it's becoming more and more prevalent uh, in today's sort of uh, media studies uh, universities that people understand what we do. And, you know, we, we encourage a lot of um, uh, undergraduates or, or school leavers to come and sort of do a bit of work with us and just find out that, that the world we live in, because I think it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a fun space to work within. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I stumbled like a lot of people into media after finishing university and coming out with you know huge debt and thinking, what do I do now? Um, I majored in marketing and 
and loved the world of advertising. So I sort of stumbled across it all. And and I think whilst uh, whilst I've been in the commercial side of media for all of my career, very early on, I started sort of working in and, and doing stuff around, you know, working very closely with the content of either the, the, the newspapers I was working with in or, or I, you know, I, I worked at a media agency for a while and, and I very much worked with my uh, with my colleagues and with my, the brands that I worked within, sort of doing some of the creative stuff. And that was the stuff that really sort of made me more interested in, in, in my career. And I think that if you all of a sudden get excited and become sort of more passionate about something, you know, your your job turns into your career, turns into something you just love. So I've been very, very lucky throughout the whole of my career to sort of continue to develop branded content, work with teams uh, as the world of, you know, the old world of advertorial has worked into the world of cross-platform, cross-media, multi-platform branded content solutions. Um, and, you know, it's just been something that has totally inspired me um, over the last sort of 20 years or so. And I'm really... I'm always intrigued by these, you know, forks in the road that people take and, and how, how that will shape your entire life. Like maybe you take a course in university and you find it interesting. And then all of a sudden you've got a 40 year career in that, in that discipline. You were at Mindshare, I believe on the agency side, right? Yes. Uh, which is, you know, it's great because then you get a perspective from, you know, the buyer side versus the seller side. But I believe you also met your wife at that time right yeah yeah which you know uh yes yeah, so uh uh so i mean first of all i was working for a newspaper i was i was a few of us have sort of become you know how was it is it poacher turned gamekeeper yeah. um I sort of been poacher turned gamekeeper gone back to being a poacher again but um uh yeah when i was at, uh, at mindshare i was you know fortunate enough to meet this amazing woman that's just not not only sort of been there to support me and help me all the way through my career but also you know is a brilliant mum to uh to, to our two boys so so uh, and, and I think that helps as well because you've got someone that understands the world you work in the world of uh, of branded content from a media owner perspective is you know whilst it's fun it can be long and it can be uh hard work and, and long days so having someone that um appreciates and totally gets that that space has been you know brilliant there's an interesting parallel here because I met my wife when I worked at an agency for a little while and yeah. We, we have two boys as well. And people have asked me, like, you know, how how did that happen? It happens for some people. They meet someone at work. And I, I have the same, you know, perception of that as well, which is when you're working agency side especially, there's a lot of, you know, pressure and long hours, but there's a ton of fun with it too. You know, you go out for drinks, you go to a sporting event. Uh, and there's good and bad, actually, in my <laughs> In my experience, because she completely understands, because I understand her world, we're working in the same world, so we understand all those pressures, and hey, I've got a pitch, you know, I've got a pitch in two days, I'm going to be working late nights for two days, and I'm like, oh, I completely get that, because the pitch is due on this date, it's going to be intense for 48 hours, and then, you know, the next week is pretty open. Uh, but on the flip side of that, <laughs> also, uh, I've got to go for this thing with clients, and she's like, okay, well, you're going to a hockey game. Like, I know this. I'm not going to feel bad that you are You're going to be busy tomorrow night working because I know that you're going to, like, a VIP box at a hockey game and having drinks and food. So so there's also the side of it where you don't get to get away with, with some things being 
being work as well and vice versa because she was in the same same industry but it's interesting um do you i imagine you don't work together anymore <laughs> no, no and i'm curious if there was a you know you meet and you work together uh and that's a very like you know everything that's going on at the same time and then you go into different careers or working for different companies and uh and if there's still that, like, are you still both in the same industry or still working at the same place together? Or do you see that happening in the future? I'm curious. Yeah, we, we were very lucky to be in a position where, you know, uh, we, we, we took the decision that, that Zoe was going to dedicate her, her career to sort of, um, you know, looking after the boys and bringing the boys up. Um, uh, we're, but we're not that, not that we're, we're in any way sort of like traditional in, the, in, the, in that approach. But yeah, you're right. That, that sometimes makes that issue of going out on a, on a work jolly with clients even harder. I think I think the great thing is that when you've got those moments of stress or you've got those real moments of God, you know what this problem I can talk through. Zoe is aware of those problems, those issues, so she's a really good confidant and a very very good uh, person to sort of you know to sort of share some of those issues with. Sometimes, yeah, I mean, if you've been out on uh, or you've been to the Cannes International Festival for four days and come back and say, well, I'm a bit tired. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't go down that well either. But it is nice. I agree. It is nice to have someone that you don't have to explain the entire uh, situation that you're in prior yeah. to getting to like the meat of it. Like, hey, this is what's going on, and the other person understands that. I've always thought that was it's a really unique uh, part of having a, a partner that knows your business really well. And the great thing is that when there are those few opportunities where where Zoe can also come along as well, you know. Um, she's she's interested. She's interested in knowing what's going on. Quite often, um, you know how it is when you when you build good relationships with clients that that have lasted for years. You know these people become your friends anyway. And you know to have uh, a partner that completely understands them, understands their business, and then all of a sudden you've got even more intricate relationships um, happening. Then 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 that's a, that's that's a great thing as well. Yeah, definitely. So you work at Mindshare for a bit, and then you make your way back into into the media world and what is it that has been bringing you back to to content and to because you've worked at several news brands over your career yeah um i think i think the thing is it's like you know i i, I for, the, for the period that i worked at the agency i think that that was the bit that sparked my my broader interest in in media and advertising because i i was you know so the the leaders and the management team and the people i work with around me just just fired my imagination and, uh, and and gave me some structure to it, but also, you know, showed me that, you know, uh, that the creativity can really do a, a multitude of different things. And what I've tried, always tried since then to harness wherever I go is to take some of that agency thinking, that agency can do attitude and approach, but then to apply it into an environment where, you know, uh, at, at the sharp end, where people are actually making things and actually have audiences. Whereas, you know, when I was at an agency, some of the frustration would be, right, you know, what you, whilst you're closer to the advertiser, to the brand, to the people that you're, you're, your clients than a media owner, then, then uh, you'd be the conduit. Whereas, you know, being at the sharp end and being the media owner and building a team of, you know, like-minded, capable, creative people that can work in partnership with media agencies uh, and, and ultimately their advertisers. I think that's, what's, that's what I've tried to do ever since I've moved back to the media owner side. I truly believe that if you create the right culture wherever you work uh, to fire the imagination of people and to inspire them, they'll genuinely do some of the best work of their lives when they're working with you. 
Uh, and if you give them the, the tools and the camaraderie and the environment of mutual respect and creativity, then the work that comes out, the targets you've got to hit become incidental because you're just creating great work all the time. And those people, although they don't have to skip very far, they're skipping to work, uh, uh, wanting to work and wanting to be fired uh, by the by the briefs that they've got to receive and the people they've got to work with. So uh, I've just always tried to sort of, you know, bring part of the agency world to the media owner and uh, and get people to have as much fun as they possibly can. Well, and let's talk about some of that work. I know you mentioned to me previously, there's, I love asking people what one of their favorite campaigns were. Uh, most often people will say, oh, you know, this Red Bull campaign or this Nike campaign or something that, you know, is this consumer brand that everybody knows. I, I mean, people, my family doesn't know what I do for work still. And I think it's probably similar for you. So I just say that I make TV ads just to skip the conversation, even though I have never made a TV ad in my life. But I do want to talk about one of the campaigns, because one of the ones that you brought up was actually for a funeral care service. Like I say, every day, the challenge is different. And every day, the uh, the ask from a client is different, whether it's launching a product a service, getting people to engage longer, you know, everybody has different KPIs and what they want to achieve. But every now and again, a brief comes across, which actually you go, well, there's a bit of a taboo behind death. You know, how do you really bring something to the fore? And and this brief landed with the team uh, just as we were going into, into the lockdown phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in everybody's mind in over everybody's shoulder was the, was this sort of, a uh, very, very scary unknown time when the numbers that were being reported by, you know, and our editorial teams and the government every day were growing. So, you know, uh, a time when uh, more people are dying, you know, your your people were losing their loved ones. Um, you have a brand that's out there saying, look, hey, you know, we are ultimately there for anybody at, when when the journey ends. And how do we how do we connect with an audience in a time of worry? Uh, at a time when you're probably just don't know where to turn and what to do, how do how does our brand engage with people? So it's quite 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 a tricky brief, uh, and that's why I would say that this is a really good solution because because we've used you know it, it, I think journalists have to look through the lens of uh, of responsibility all the time, uh, not only in terms of you know the you know make sure they're fact checking so the world of fake news doesn't exist, but 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 also to ensure that the tone of voice and the way that they are going to talk to their readers is not uh, dismissive or downputting or anything. So, so I think the solution that we came up with, which worked across our national and our regional titles, which is to help and to help readers say uh, goodbye to and to celebrate the lives of the people that they'd lost, all brought to you by uh, our news brands and uh, the Co-Optive Funeral Care Company, it was just a a, a beautiful way of executing something uh, which is a very delicate subject um, at the time when people were were quite understandably quite quite worried and scared so it's um it for me it it's an it's an amazing campaign to when you look back at it you look back at the amount of people that that engaged with that campaign saw that campaign the feedback that we had from the people that we work with and the people uh, not only at, at, at the co-op funeral care, but our readers and um, the way it resonated with them, um, I think was a really, really lovely, lovely thing for us to have put together. And, you know, sometimes there's those campaigns where you put it together and you think, you know, that that would stand on its own without being paid for, without a brand associated with it. 
Um, he's done a great job for the co-op and, the, and their funeral care brand, but it's just something that, that, that was a lovely, lovely thing to do and to be involved in. I love campaigns that seem like they're from, you know, really boring or not talked about industries because there's no way that you could have put that into a, a banner ad. Like you couldn't get across that idea through any sort of flashy advertising. I have a, a friend that I know that uh, has a will signing service. So to sign off on your will and they had a, you know, a bumper year for 2020 and I think it's because a lot of people for one of the first times in a really long time were faced with the idea of, oh, yeah, right, I'm going to die at some point. And, mm, you know, there's a pandemic going on. So maybe I should think about this, right? Like, it's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen to my grandparents. And people were maybe for one of the first times in a long time openly discussing that possibility. And because it's something that nobody talks about ever, it's a you know taboo subject, it probably, there was not that much information about it. Like wills, for for example, uh, most people don't have a will or know how to create a will or know why they would have a will unless they've recently experienced like a family member's death. Um, and I imagine the same thing with, you know, funeral services. No one is thinking, okay, what do I have to do this week? Okay, well, I need to look into funeral care services, right? Exactly. I mean, I've worked on so many glamorous campaigns over the years and some really cool things and some really funny things. But, but you know, I just think that, you know, in the world we're in right now, to have done something uh, you know, for the team to have, you know, because that brief went out to the marketplace, went out to everybody. Here's a, here's a challenge we've got. Uh, but I think that the way we, we dealt with it, delivered it, created it um, and published it was just was just really nice and really lovely and, um, and did, did, did the job. We, I, I mentioned it earlier, we're, we're working on something at the moment, but as a, a cross industry initiative at the moment um, across all of the news brands, um, we're working uh, as a joint uh, branded content unit uh, with the government to help the government get across some of their messages around the pandemic. Uh, and this has been running since just after Easter last year. Uh, and it's a huge undertaking for all of us um, to, to ensure that we have a, a shared amount of our resource from all of the news brands working together with the agency and with the government to every single week think about the messages that need that extra bit of explanation or framing or or extra hammering home of uh, of some of the importance or some of the detail that um that we can produce for each of our news brands and deliver in print and on digital uh to make sure that we can help the government get the right messaging across Yet at the same time, you know, we, we have editorial teams that should quite understandably be freed of any commercial constraints should throughout the pandemic or anything else feel that they want to take the, uh, the government to count uh, uh, on anything. Uh, they have the freedom to do so. So, so uh, you know, it's a very it was a very clever forward thinking approach from uh, uh, from Newsworks, who are our industry body and the media agency for the government's uh, communications campaigns uh but the, the the sheer volume scale and size of content that that my team and the rest of our industry have had to produce and publish has been you know mind-boggling it's super interesting that you know what would normally be seen as competitors right yep. are are working together on a program and specifically the content have you have you seen something like that 
in your career where these being in this way together? Never. Um, I mean, I, I, I got involved in the actual pitch over the Easter weekend um, and it needed, uh, the good thing is, you know, I think that, you know, in years gone by, you know, we, we as news brands were fighting each other over an increasingly shrinking cake. You know, the, the, the amount of money that was being spent in advertising in our world was slowly sort of eking away. And, and a few years back now, we've all sort of looked at it and gone, hey, wh- wh- why are we fighting each other for 50 pence rather than actually there's some times when we can we can work uh, or we can certainly coexist with one another. Um, and but this is the first time on the scale uh, of you know, this, the scale of, of work that's being produced and the, the sheer collaboration and and also uniqueness, because the whole point of this is, you know, the, the way that the, the Daily Mirror would execute their piece of the comms compared to. The, our colleagues over at the Sun versus, you know, the guys on uh, the Telegraph or the Times. You know, we've 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 got to treat them in the way that we would treat the editorial within our own environment. So it's it's a it's a huge undertaking, both from the government to be able to manage their sign off process through to you know our collaboration as media owners to to work with one another to get the best job possibly done, and all of the research so far that sort of got into the campaign has shown that, that that this part of their comms has worked phenomenally well in terms of engaging with the audiences to, to, to inform them about what needs to be done. It's a super interesting like program or initiative for one, because the first time you do anything is the most difficult. It's like you're aligning, you've got to manage, you know, people and inventory and everyone has different motivations and there's egos involved. Once you get through that first time, the second time is always easier. Do you think that this could be laying the groundwork for more initiatives, more working together as news organizations in the future? Or do you think this is just a one-off? I think no. I think it's a good model. I think, I think it's interesting. I think the you know I said earlier about the fact that you know briefs are uh, are, are normally you know almost like a winner takes all scenario when you're pitching against other media owners. But also you know I've seen briefs getting bigger. And sometimes if a brief is a certain size, you sort of think, well, you know, of course, we all want to do our best job and win that brief and do the best thing and spend, you know, please, Mr. Advertiser, spend it all with us. However, I think sometimes the right answer is actually if we were to do part of that job and maybe a radio company did the other part of that job together, we could work together collaboratively and and produce a phenomenally big campaign that can reach more people. So over the past few years, I've, I've worked with and I've encouraged my teams to, when the opportunity is right, to reach out to the right sort of complementary media owner and, and, and work collaboratively. Sometimes I think some of the more progressive media agencies are also asking us or, or actually, you know, acting as a dating agency and proactively getting us to work with other media owners to, to, to come back with a joint uh, proposal. Mm. I think the space is really interesting. Um, and I've seen some, you know, I think if, if you both come at it, whether you're uh, a, a traditionally a competitor or you're a complementary media owner, and the first question is, this is great, what should we do? Then then you've got the basis of a, of, of, of a relationship. If the first question is, how much money are we getting? I found that those ones don't work so yeah. well. Because it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a collaboration based on just how much money we're getting. And, and it, it, it never works. But but I think if those teams that exist like mine, uh, as we're all growing, as more investments coming from advertisers into the world of content, the smart ones are thinking, well, let's all let's all grow with the opportunity and, 
and work with brands to solve their solutions, whatever they may be. Well, and I think you you make a really good point is that the first question that you ask when you see a brief is like, what, how creative can we be? What's the story we can tell? Uh, and that's a much different approach to a brief than the first question being, what's the budget and what percentage of that budget can I get? Yeah. Because there's no collaboration when it's a winner takes yeah. all and, you know, zero sum game. But I think if you start with this idea, like how creative can this be and how big can this get? Uh, and that's probably why these studios, which maybe have a, a more fundamental starting point in creativity, are able to work together on these programs. What do you, you know, you've had a strong year in branded content. It's been growing over mm -hmm. time. What do you think the next few years, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, if, if anything, we're further into, you know, lockdowns than we were previously, even with vaccines on the horizon. What do you think, I'm not going to ask you what the next five or 10 years look like, because good luck with that. But what does 2021 look like for you and your team in the industry? Okay, well, um, okay, specifically, let me tell you about what we're doing and what we're, we're seeing. So, so our business has undertaken a, a customer, we call it a customer value strategy, where we are looking at how we understand our audiences more. Now, we are ahead of all expectations so far. We have now have over 5 million subscribers. So we have more data about our audiences than we've probably ever had before. Um, now, this is interesting for a multitude of different reasons. In, you know, as we look towards the future to a, a cookie-less world, um, it doesn't just help the advertiser target and distribute their advertising to the right people and the right audience sets. It really informs my team and our editorial teams about the sort of content that our audiences are really, really after, how long they're engaging with stuff, what sort of topicality do they like, what are the celebrities that they're really tuning into, what's the, you know, there's the, the detail of the data that we can now get about a user's journey to help inform us about the sort of content that our readers want served to them is, is growing all the time. So for us, we see that as a great opportunity to build on what we're really good at, which is great ideas and great ways of delivering things and you know impeccable project management. Uh, if you add the science into the front end of it, your insight and understanding about what ideas will fly and what ideas will really engage is, is just getting better all the time. So I think I think from our perspective, that's going to only mean that whenever we are talking to our, our advertisers and we've got more data than we've even used before, I think that uh, that, that, that means that the, the people have greater confidence that the ideas that we're going to come up with are going to work. So uh, I certainly see that as a, a, as a great opportunity for us. And I do uh, I do think that that during this time, during a period of uncertainty, having a deeper and a better relationship with a certain audience and a core audience of your brand or product uh, and understanding what makes them tick. And like you say, a ban is a banner ad going to do that? I'm not sure. But I certainly know that people will spend longer in a piece of content that they're genuinely interested in, whether it's from a brand or whether it's from a pure editorial perspective. So to understand how that all works and how you can engage with your customers that you're trying to achieve, then teams like mine, are, 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 I think, are in a very strong and a very good position and a very healthy position. I think that's interesting, the idea of like almost having a good sense of the pulse of what people are thinking. I remember when I started in advertising, it was all 
about demographics. It was, is the person 18 to 34 years old or are they 35 to 49 years old? Are they male or female? And that's what the brief said. It was as if this group of 18 to 34 year olds all acted the same way. And now I think that there's, you know, there's what are their political views? What are their views on, you know, the products that they consume? How do they feel about different topics and, and along those lines? So having that close tie into the customer base, the beauty of subscribers is that you can ask them questions and you have a direct relationship with them. They're not just a person visiting a site. And with all the privacy, you know, GDPR, there's the California privacy law. We can't track in that cookie world in the same way. So you do need like a conversational or contextual relationship with them. So I think that's, it's a really good point of how, how powerful that direct connection to an audience can be. I think it's really interesting for the industry because we are seeing a lot of news brands also, you know, move towards more of a subscription model still with advertising, but having a way that the consumer is paying for the content as well. And I know it's been around for a while, but maybe it's just a more core part of the business model in digital. It's always been a part of print. Uh, It's just becoming a little bit more common in digital now as well. Yeah. And I I think that that shows us as well. It's like, you know, scarcity plays a big part in digital requirement to get money for what you're making you know if you if you're more specialist it's it's perhaps easier because the, the the content that you're producing is more scarce whereas when you're a mass market brand where entertainment is your lifeblood uh and main news that it, that's it, it's it's available in so many different channels it's perhaps a little bit harder to to look at what the what the cost model is and that's why i think that that's you know at the test we all try and learn from one another on on, on the right way of doing it but but yeah i, I think the more that the the reader understands that, that we're only interested in finding out more about them and more about their journey and their experience so we can serve them better content and hey you know to do this for free then there'll be an ad experience so if we can serve you better advertising that we think you'll be in, in you'll enjoy and be invested in and it's the sort of brands we think you'll be interested in i think then the relationship between the you know the reader the media owner and the advertiser can only get stronger uh, and then you know it's it's uh, it's how we how we then look at you know down down the road you know we're looking at you know data sharing models with advertisers to to make sure that um, all the compliance models are worked so that we can be even better at targeting and turning business uh, objectives around for advertisers as well so you know how we frame that from a content perspective I'm looking at at the moment as well so you know I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting year ahead um, a lot of it is going to be driven by you know, when we can get out and converse with our fellow man on the street um, uh, or, or go to the shops and buy a coffee. Uh, but, um, you know, similarly, uh, I think that in a world where um, brand purpose is still something that, that's very important to ensure that you've got a, a, a hook and a reason to talk to your consumer as well, uh, that needs storytelling capabilities to help get that message across as well. So so I think I think it's a very healthy future for us uh, this year, I would like to think uh, we're looking at, you know, the areas of skill set that we're looking at investing in uh, predominantly as our digital side of our business carrot continues to fly. Uh, and uh, again, I think it's uh, I think, you know, it's good times ahead. Yeah, I love that. It's uh, I've noticed this. There's this very positive outlook in the middle of a pandemic. We're locked in our basements. Um, there's, you know, social unrest everywhere. There's polar. There's all a lot of bad stuff. But there is this, you know hope or, or possibility with it um i'm excited that i that you were our first uk guest i want to thank you for 
being on the show for helping explain some of the intricacies of the UK media market. I mean, who better than someone that, that spent this much time in this in this industry? And so before I let you go, I ask all my guests for, we do a book club at Press Board. And so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for a book recommendation. Uh, a lot of people are at home, either, you know, on social media or maybe reading a book. So do you have a recommendation for listeners? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll give you. I'll give you a business book, and it's a bit of a plug for an old colleague of mine as well, because uh, it is. A, it is a great book for anybody that's interested in business culture and work culture. I'm going to give a good plug for uh, uh, the Joy of Work by Bruce Daisley. Now, Bruce is a, a, a. He was one of the lead guys at Twitter in the UK up until recently. Uh, absolutely fantastic, very engaging guy. Read his book and check him out uh, on YouTube. He and I both worked together at uh, a company called EMAP uh, quite a while ago, and a company I think that that injected a passion for business culture to him, him and, uh, and myself. So, so yeah, really engaging, really fun, really interesting book. I, I definitely recommend that. I love it. Thanks so much for the book recommendation. Thanks so much for being on the show. Loved having you here, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into the Science of Storytelling. Don't forget to leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. We have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single one. See you next time.